Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of the Engineering Leadership Series. I'm here with Rob Osell, who is an architect here and a team lead at Visat. And uh, Rob and I always have these like really fun conversations yeah. about lasagna, about engineering leadership. <laughs> I'm game for anything, right? Yeah. In college, I was part of a a debate competition and what you did is you could literally go in and one side would say anything that they wanted to they could say like simpsons was the best show ever and then you had to go up and argue and argue why or like argue that another one was better or whatever yeah simpsons is crap because bart simpson should not be yellow <laughs> sure that could have been your argument i don't know how it would have went for you uh probably not well uh, but uh, you could have gone that way Okay, so engineering leadership. Um, you know, uh, Rob, you talk a lot about like owning the middle, or that's like something you like risk and owning the middle is like a topic that you've been pondering on lately. Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting idea, right? That there are people like in in architect for architects and in architecture, software architecture, we always talk about this idea of trade offs. If anybody, a developer, was to ever come to us and say, "Hey, I can make this thing." 30% faster and 50% more secure, one of the first questions we're always going to ask back is, well, what are we giving to get all that? We can't mm. get stuff for free. But sometimes when I talk to leaders, I I get the sense that a lot of like engineering leaders, especially when we first start out, we want to try to do everything. We want to please everyone. And so as an example of this, I was talking to some uh, engineering leaders kind of uh, conversation. And one of them remarked to me and said, you know, I'm just feeling really burned out. They said, well, why are you burned out? And they replied something to the effect of, I feel like I'm caught between my boss and my reports. And I feel like I'm stuck in the middle. And that conversation was really interesting to me. It stuck with me because in the course of talking to them, what, what we sort of realized is that the person felt stuck in the middle because they were trying to make their boss happy and they were trying to make their reports happy, but they couldn't make both of them happy at the same time. There needed to be a trade-off and they didn't want to have to own that spot and decide what the trade-off was. They wanted there to be a correct answer. They like, wanted tell there me to the be, answer. Yeah, they wanted there to be something they could find that was going to just be the correct answer. And what, you know, what I sort of said and what I believe is that engineering managers and engineering leaders are born for the first time when they have to make that trade-off. Um, <laughs> yeah, anybody can make people happy if there's a way to make everybody happy. But uh, true leadership is when you have to make somebody unhappy in a deliberate way. I'm a big fan of intentionality. So I said, listen, if you think your boss is making a mistake, you got to coach up and try to convince. I said, if you think that your boss is right and it's the right thing for the business, you got to coach down and you got to get your people to understand why they have to, you know, align with this vision. And I really think like this kind of idea is important and maybe a little underspoken about. Just like having an opinion, you have to have an opinion. You have to have an opinion and you have to like um, fight for that opinion, I guess. Yeah, basically the idea is that you need to earn, you know, earn your money. We're not just, uh, leaders are not just schedulers. We're not just decision makers, right? We're not just there to support. And I think that sometimes what can be difficult is people feel like, oh, I can't do this or that because 
uh, my schedule makes it this way or, oh, we can't, you know, this was decided by somebody else. There's a lot of these sort of excuses that start to crop up in leadership because like, oh, I would love to do that, right? We want to be friends. We always want to be on the same side. This is like when you have like a boss. It's like when you, when you, when you can't actually make the full decision and you have a boss and you're like, you know, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, or as parents, right? Sometimes this will happen with our kids. Our kids will say like, oh, I really want to have ice cream tonight. Like, oh, I would love to give you ice cream tonight, but we can't, we don't have it, or they ran out or whatever, right? Like a lot of times we don't want to lose that sort of uh, camaraderie we have. We don't want to disappoint someone. So a lot of times Mm. you sort of offload the responsibility of having to make hard decisions on something else. Onto like an excuse. Yeah, it's, it functions a bit as an excuse. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of times this doesn't really hurt us. Sometimes this, you know, can work in spots. But there are some other circumstances other than just this case where I've sort of seen this problem come up that I think people don't realize it's kind of the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So one of them that's interesting is in the idea of data. Um, I got an opportunity to have a conversation with uh, David Kramer recently uh, from Century, mm-hmm. which is super fascinating. And he has some thoughts on this. He wrote a blog called Optimizing for Taste, which I thought was dating. And it kind of has this idea that data can sometimes be a crutch for leaders when they're making decisions. That they just sort of think that if they can find the right data, that will tell them what to do. And what sort of David argues and what I believe to be the case is that, listen, if you're just going to get data, data by itself doesn't say anything. Once you have data or facts or metrics, if you believe that that stuff is guiding you in a certain direction, you have to validate that data. You have to explain why that data says what you think it says. And then you have to say what you still believe to be true. And I think that a lot of times leaders can sometimes give up their leadership to data because it's it has this air of objectivity. It has this air of like, oh, I'm correct. But at the end of the day, you always reserve a little bit for yourself to say, well, if it's wrong, it's not my fault. The data was bad. Mm. And I think, you know, see how this is kind of working in the same way mm-hmm. that, that people kind of feel like rather than str- lead strongly um, to lead with intentionality to do the thing that they want to do and maybe make that be informed by data. Instead, they say, well, the data says we need to release next quarter or the data says people don't want that particular feature or whatever else the data says. And well, how do you have an opinion? Like, how do you have an opinion with, you know, cause I mean, that, that is very much the case, right? Like, for example, you, you talk about like web performance and, you know, a lot of, uh, leaders have to like fight for, uh, Hey, you know, we need to like account for web performance, like in our sprints and here's why. And okay. We can't, we haven't found enough data to be able to fight for this argument and blah, blah, blah. Like, how do you fight with like a, I don't know, a purpose or like a, a backbone, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's an interesting point, right? I guess you have to understand what it is you're arguing against. I mean, mm-hmm. to some extent, you, you make a good point. Performance <clears throat> metrics, you're going to have circumstances where somebody says, hey, our first paint time is whatever, three seconds. And uh, Google says that that's not correct, right? And so people sort of either appeal to authority or just appeal to the data. This number came out red on an audit. (laughs) And so your first guess is what? What does that tell you? 
does that number tell you that you need to drop everything, every strategic initiative you have to get that number back down into the green? Is that number being bad even a terrible thing? What kind of system are you trying to build? Are you trying to build a system that's uh, going to be used as an internal tool at a lot of shops where they're not going to be accessing it frequently or you're not worried about that as sort of initial drop-off as much as e-commerce shops are and things of that nature? Um, is your website content-based or is it an application, right? So these are places where the data needs to be made more nuanced. Just saying we have a performance, we have a load time of this amount is not a narrative. It doesn't tell a story. Mm. I think a lot of times people just say, hey, this number is this. It needs to be this. Why? Because whatever reason, right? <laughs> and so people either try to find uh, user research data, which would be maybe the more common case of being led astray, uh, or performance metrics or things that people that, you know, on Twitter or whatever else say needs to be true. And they just sort of say, it has to be that way, right? And mm -hmm. a lot of times I've sat in conversations with leaders where I've said, they go, look at this data. Look at this data that shows how many people are reading our tweets in our DevRel. And you say, okay, <laughs> what, uh, and they say, this shows that what we're doing isn't working. I said, okay, well, what would you expect the data to show if it, if it, what we were doing was working? You know, why is that data being that indicate that, right? And so you, you vet the data, you kind of work that way. And, uh, I think you don't, you don't give up that leadership. You don't, you don't try to hide behind the data. Mm, mm. Well, okay. So like thinking a little higher up, uh, you know, when, you know, it's, it's people problems. Sure. Or solutions. <laughs> What's another good example? Uh, in this data area or just in general? Of in general of like owning the middle, like, so, I guess, I guess we see a lot of people owning the middle, but like maybe some of the people that own the middle are not the nicest people or we don't agree with their decisions. So they're just like, they're just like polar, you know, it's like some people just don't want to be polarizing, right? So like they kind of, you know, hide behind that data or hide behind this or hide behind that decision. Just like when you were talking about with like kids and ice cream, for example. Oh, absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, or no, or then you just have people who are just like, no, it has to be this way. And you're like, but why? That's right. So mm -hmm. the, the takeaway from this should not be um, that people and leaders need to be little dictators that make every decision and everything has to be correct, right? The, the, in no way is that what needs to be true. Because as I said, when you own the middle, it doesn't mean you are the top. <laughs> By the virtue of being the middle, you're not at the top of any hierarchy. So you need to build a successful team where you take in the information and feedback from your team. The team is what's going to enable you to coach up if you need to coach up. Um, and you need to obviously uh, listen to the wisdom and of your peers and of your of your superiors, people that are up your reporting chain, if there if there are any, uh, to get that kind of information. You need to take in information from many sources. But what you need to realize is that ultimately you're making that decision, or at least you're guiding to that decision. And I think a lot of times maybe leaders feel like they, um, especially increasingly this way, they they want to empower people by not taking decisions and by oh, like other people I'm here to coach you and I'm not going to make a decision for you, but I'm here to just coach you versus, okay, look, you know, here's, here's how it's going to be based on all my inputs. Here's the decision that needs to happen. Kind of like that. Yeah. And again, you know, just because you're the one that needs to own that middle, that doesn't mean that you can't uh, empower somebody on your team to make a call. 
right? Mm -hmm. That can be your decision. Your decision can be, you know what, Tracy, you're a member of my team. You've had your head in this the most. I trust your guidance on this. What you say is what the team's going to go with. Mm -hmm. What do you think we should do? Mm -hmm. And you say, I think we should release this software now. It's ready to go. And you say, great, that's what we're going to do. Now you've, you've made a decision. You weren't the one who made it, but your decision was that that was going to be it. And if somebody higher up in your chain now has a problem with that, you're not going to turn around and go, well, that was Tracy. That was Tracy's decision, <laughs> you know, and, and hide behind somebody and, you know, get behind that. You're going to go, no, this is the right call. And then now you're going to be responsible for defending that call. Mm -hmm. right? Now, yeah. if you think your team is wrong, it's the same thing in reverse, right? They're going to come to you mad, steaming mad in that meeting. When you're like, no, we have to make this deadline. We can't push it out. We're going to have to work a couple, a couple extra hours and get this release out the door. The team's going to be steeping mad. And then you have to convince, uh, you have to try to make them understand why it's important that that release still be, still be held. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so it's, it's really, it can be a compassionate thing. It's about making your team more effective it's about making your company more effective. Um, but I think when the leaders don't take that step back and try to always be like a friend to everybody involved and actually takes up that spot in the middle and, and leads with sort of conviction and intentionality. And you get a really powerful and healthy community. Mm. It's not a little dictator type situation. Mm. Like my team is just not able to make a decision. So I don't know what to do more like, well, my team has is stuck on these three decisions that they can't make a decision. So here's a decision going forward <laughs> type deal. Like yeah. weigh, weighing all the weighing all the inputs and and then making decisions. Yeah. It's funny because last night I just made a decision. I remember, but you know, I am kind <laughs> of at the top, you know, so I am responsible. But like, <laughs> I was like, um, you know, Cinemonia, another person on our team was uh, coming and talking. Uh, you know, has this idea, and he started, you know, presenting this idea and. Uh, you know, somebody else came to me and said, Hey, you know, what do we do? I, I need you to make a decision on this. And I said, okay, well, my decision is let's just go with whatever he is and just cross check me real quick, but I don't really care. Just go with it. <laughs> yeah. So it can be empowering to empower other people. Sure. And to some extent, right. You're beholden to, uh, your employees and you might be beholden to your customers yeah. uh, or have other obligations. And so, you know, it's like everybody's sort of in between different demands. Um, yeah. and it's very easy to kind of take uh, the kind of mentality that, uh, it's, you know, it's not my fault. There's a no win situation here. Right. A lot of it's times. It's so funny. Like you talk about owning the middle versus being stuck in the middle. It's like, is middle management stuck in the middle? Maybe sometimes oh, middle no, management because... feels like they're stuck in the middle. Is that. No, because you can, you can be caught between peers. Mm, uh, mm. You know, you can have, you know, if you're, if you're a C-level executive or a VP or something like that, right. You might have issues where you're like, oh my goodness, like, between this person and this other person, uh, we just can't seem to make any progress or we can't seem to resolve anything, right? And it's always whenever you pull back that idea that, well, listen, which of them do you agree with? Or do you agree with neither of them, right? If you agree with one or the other, then add your voice to that. Yeah. If you agree with neither of them, well, then you need to definitely get your voice out there because you have a third vision. Um, yeah. and, if, and if a decision was made, you need to be there trying to make sure that everybody's now pulling in the same direction with that decision. Um, and so I think that can happen in peer relationships too, where you try to be everybody's friend and, you know, you go talk to one person, you'll, can you believe 
that person, you know, and then you go to the other person. Ah, oh, man, they were really crazy in that meeting today, don't you think? And uh, you know th that happens. You're like you're like reliving the ChatGPT board member conversations <laughs> before the the blowout. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Oof. Where would you be, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, well, cool. Well, what's the call to action like for people? Like, how can people get started on this? Right? Because it's very like, okay, you know, but it's like, how do you how do you really start putting this into action? Yeah, I think with everything, right, it starts with sort of intentionality. Um, now, it's hard to sort of say I'm going to start practicing intentionality. But I think whenever leaders uh, find themselves stuck in the middle, or they have somebody that is communicating to them in a way that indicates that they're sort of feeling like they're stuck or they're or they're hiding behind something. Um, somebody needs to speak up and sort of just go, wait a second, what's going on here? Why am I refusing to kind of make a stand here? Why are you refusing to hear? That's a lot of um, like so, self introspection that's needed too, like a lot of self awareness that's needed. Yeah, it's one of these things, though, that like you can keep attention, you can pay attention to the feeling that you have when you're about to do this. Mm -hmm. And you can notice that feeling rising. But I'll be perfectly honest, this is something that's easier to see in other people. So this is just where having uh, mentoring is really solid. Uh, always having somebody that you can talk to if you're in a type of situation where you don't have people higher than you, obviously, with a lot of leaders are, I, I think this is where having accountability partners and things can really be useful. And like a mentor people. group and a coach. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Right. Like having these kind of opportunities where you can have that kind of honesty to people be like, listen, the story that you're telling me, it really just sounds like you're high. Uh, and I think you need to kind of figure out what you believe in this situation. And I yeah. think you need to lead from there. And then hopefully you have the right people around you that aren't making like having you make bad decisions. Because, you know, well, yeah, but what I like about it, and again, going back to that article by uh, David Kramer, that was super fascinating is it's like, you know what, if you're going to be wrong, you're going to be wrong. But at least you'll have been wrong with what you thought was correct, right? And you can pivot from there. But at least you're not going to go down going, you know, having regrets of blaming somebody else for uh, or blaming something else for, for that failure. And I, yeah. I think, you know, a lot of businesses, a lot of initiatives fail. If there was any magic way to do this or any secret formula, we'd all be rich beyond our wildest imagining. So you'd rather, if you're going to go down at all, you'd rather be going down with something that you felt a lot of conviction for and a lot of intention for. And you felt like it, to the extent at which it was successful, it was mm -hmm. in part because of how hard you were making it work. Yeah. And so. Yeah. I mean, I look back at my um, GameStop bets and forcing my husband to like make an investment and losing a lot of money that day. And I don't feel good going down with conviction. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, but not yet, but one of, it only <laughs> takes one, right? It only takes one. And then, <laughs> then maybe you'll change your tune. Uh, well, thank you, Rob, for hanging out. Uh, where do we find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at my misspelled name, at RoboCell. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, or on LinkedIn at Rob.Ocell, so my real name. <laughs> cool, and you can find me on Twitter at Lady Leet or on LinkedIn at Tracy Lee. And uh, thanks so much, Rob, for joining us. Uh, shout out to our sponsor, which is our company, The Thought Labs. Uh, you know, we really, really, really love helping companies and working with leadership specifically to, um, you know, make some hard decisions, right? Because we've seen so many things and uh, we get to work with some really cool companies. I think um, 
with Meta, StackBlitz, Stripe, Xero, DocuSign, MailChimp. I'm talking about all the projects that Rob specifically you've worked on because I'm staring at you right now. Um, but if you need help with staff augmentation or fractional leadership, feel free to let us know and uh, we'll hopefully see you next time. Sometimes it's hard to bridge the gap between business objectives and tech implementation, and it can get messy. This dot is trusted by top names like Meta, Google, and T-Mobile, and they love helping business leaders fulfill their strategic digital initiatives. Check them out at thisdot.co. One more time, that's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O.